this morning, um, y'all know we don't, we don't do Hallmark Christmas around here. Nothing wrong with Hallmark. It's just Christmas is a whole lot more than Thomas Kincaid and Precious Moments. And um, there's so much in Christianity. The greatest stories we've heard so many times that we, they, we, we lose the meaning of them. And how profound, the simplest stories in Scripture have the most profound impact on our life. And I was thinking this week about Christmas. Like every time, you know, I've studied. I took three weeks off before we started this, this series last week. And um, I could preach for a year. You could preach from Luke 1 and 2 for a year. And nobody would get tired of it if, if the pastor was anointed or the one doing the teaching. It's that rich. And yet there's so many great things that we, we, we miss. And even I, I'm in a lot of my pastor groups. And sometimes I sit in our circles, and I, I just call time out, and I go like, pardon me, but the bull meter just goes up, and I'm like, guys, you're missing the mark. It's not about being impressive and delivering this thing. It's about having an, a, something to say that's anointed at Christmas time. There's a big difference. Anybody know? When I'm not anointed, if I go to sermons.com and get me a sermon for Sunday morning, all y'all will be able to tell. Amen? Amen? Or you should be able to tell. If you go, wow, Pastor Chuck, that was good. It was probably Pastor Chuck. And Paul said, we didn't come with words of man's wisdom to impress you. If we do, your faith rests on our charm or charisma or intellect. And there's a lot of that in North America. But we came, Paul said, with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And this morning, I have, a, I have a rhema from the story of Christmas. And I was thinking about it. It's like, I remember when our oldest son, Brandon, he was preschool age. He was three or four. I think he was four. And he, it was his first athletic um, experience. And he joined a soccer league. And believe it or not, they played up at that little uh, soccer field complex right there where Cox Road comes into 140. And I'll, I'll never forget the first time we went. And, you know, I'm somewhat competitive. Candace is really competitive. Y'all would be fooled. You wouldn't believe it. When, when our kids ran cross country, Candace beat them to the finish line so she could get pictures. She, and she's good. But um, so, you know, soccer in those preschool years, it's like only one or two kids on each team even gets it. They don't even understand it. But the others are having fun, you know, and they're out there and they get totally away from where the ball is. And there's this collective crowd and one or two. They may not even be good athletes. But they get it. The goal is to kick that ball in that net. And I think so many times we come to church and Christmas stories and we go, hey, we got all the hallmarky. We got all the sweaters. We sung the songs. Merry Christmas. This is awesome. You know, you know. And we just go, and, and everybody leaves and goes, yes. And we miss like what, because history is his story. Hear me. And we, we don't look just to see what he did. We look to see what he did in the circumstances of the world when he did it. So that we can know how he wants to do in the circumstances of our world in 2023 what needs to be done. 
And there's a big difference. And so I come today, last week we talked about the word of Christmas. And we talked about, listen, if you weren't here, everybody thinks the kingdom moves on what we do, and it doesn't. Things get moving in the kingdom by what we say. Kingdom of light and darkness. That's why Satan wants to torment your mind to get you to say the wrong stuff. And it gets demons and hit the dark side working. And so we talked about all it was. Christmas didn't start in Bethlehem. It started when the angel came and said what God told him to say. Angel, Greek word pastor, means one who speaks for God. The angel came from God and said to Mary what God was saying. Hear me. When we say what God says or is saying, and she said, okay, I received that. And that's when Christmas started. And all it was was a conversation. And she received it. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the, um, I've, I've really struggled on what to name it. It's like the who of the womb or the what of the, or the why of the womb. But I, I, I want to call it, listen, the family of the womb. Everybody listen. You got to pick up. I don't want you to get distracted trying to take notes. The family, what, what was happening in her was the start of a family. And it was going to impact her family. We'll talk about some of that next week. She, now she, Joseph, there's no, the engagement's over. We got to get married. It's kind of out of order, but God does things in an unorthodox way. And then she's got to go home and tell her family and try and convince her daddy that she's not been messing around. God, are you kidding me? And then in the middle of the angel telling her, please don't miss, because God, there's some unprecedented stuff happening right now in your family that God wants to give you a rhema word on what to do with it. It might look like, my, my sweet, innocent, what happened to you? And God's speaking. And the unprecedented stuff that's happening in your family, especially men, if you can recognize the rhema in it, what God is saying, whew, this can be an amazing Christmas. And so I want to talk to you this morning. What did... What did the angel say? I want to help you understand, so I'm going to move slow as we lay a foundation. The angel, when Mary goes, I, how? That's a fair question. Her uncle Zachariah lost his voice. We'll look at that. In the same chapter, just earlier, going, I don't know how this can happen. Let me tell you something. When God tells you what he's going to do in you, you don't have the capacity for it. And you're going to say how, too. And, and the angel goes, just listen to the comfort of this. You've heard me say this ad nauseum. This is part of what's in my DNA. She said, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. The Holy Spirit is going to produce or execute the word of God for your life. And she says, and look what it says. So verse 35, 
The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. That's what? Wait, what? Verse 36. And here's what the angel, this is how good God is. You're not going to be alone, Mary, and your family. Your whole family, your daddy's quickly going to go, wow, God is up to something. And if he knows the word, he's going to recognize what God's up to. This is what's been prophesied. Verse 36, the angel says, what's more? Just to give you some comfort, Mary, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. And look, people used to, what's the word say? People used to say she was barren. But she, that was the word, and that was a factual, actual word over her condition. People used to say she was barren, but but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. Now let's drill down right here. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. I just thank you for the sense of conception. There's a pregnancy in the realm of the Spirit for this church, for us, for me, for every person, every family, Lord. You're wanting it to be in our womb in the intimate place where we, we carry life. You come, Lord, to bring your word. We, we want to say, may it be unto us according to your word. If that's your prayer today, would you just say amen? amen. Now, let's back up. So God's moving in her family. Wow, that's going to be some tremendous comfort. A lady in the family who's too old to have children is now pregnant. And a lady who's really a girl who's too young, unqualified, she's pregnant too. That went from an obscure family to all of a sudden royalty, you know? Can you imagine? The Bible, this is review. Again, part of my DNA. The Bible begins and ends with a marriage. Genesis and Revelation. All through it, 66 books, God talks over and over about family, marriage. Marriage makes families. Families make children. Christian families make Christian children who become Christian husbands and wives. And those Christians' husbands and wives raise up more Christian children to fulfill the purpose for man and woman in the garden to replenish the earth. And we see all through Scripture, Satan hates the family. Satan hates babies, especially baby boys. Deuteronomy chapter 7, Psalm 105, we see God's commitment to children to families where over and over throughout the old testament he says i will be faithful to a thousand generations you and i are in the bible that right there is speaking about us malachi I, let me say exodus chapter 20 the 10 commandments the fifth one the only one with a promise is children honor your father and mother so that things may go well with you in your life, and that you'll live a long and fruitful life. At the end of the Old Testament, 39 books, the last two verses in the Old Testament, the prophet says, before the Messiah comes, I'm going to raise up a prophet in the spirit of Elijah. And what he says, he will preach a message to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And then what happens? The New Testament opens up, and here we see family again. Matthew, 
After 400 years, intertestamental period, nothing's being written. The last thing we heard God say was, he's going to raise up a prophet in the spirit of Elijah and speak to families. And if he doesn't do that, the, the earth will be cursed because of the breakdown of the family. Matthew 1 opens up, and what do we see? The genealogy of Jesus listed. 42 generations he takes from Mary and Joseph and Jesus and goes all the way back to Abraham. And in that list, he mentions people that shouldn't be in there. Tamar, who disguised herself as a prostitute, slept with her father-in-law, and she conceived twins. And one of those ill-conceived twins is listed in Matthew 1, in the genealogy of Jesus. Then Rahab, she didn't dress and act like a prostitute. She was an actual prostitute from Jericho. But even in her depravity, she recognized the people of God. There's something about their God. The third one is Ruth, a young Moabite widow who had married into a Jewish family. She's a Canaanite for Pete's sake. And she, the beautiful story of how she says to her mother-in-law, your people be my people. Then we see Bathsheba listed in the genealogy of Jesus in the Bible. God, if I were you, I would take them out. I wouldn't let them be in the Bible. Bathsheba. If anybody in the Bible was, would be a good ratings for Jerry Springer, it was her. It's a soap opera. It's a colorful tale of adultery, infidelity, and murder. As the king that God says is a man after his own heart. And they conceive Solomon. And then we, you, what's... What's the message in the New Testament when we open up talking about family? God's still committed to family. And even in dysfunctional families, he's able to raise up the spirit of the Messiah. Are y'all out there? Yours qualifies. Mine does too. All of us do. You know, I, I, this isn't stuff in my nose, so I just feel, you know, why do we have these long lists? Most of you have heard me say this before. Why do we have all these lists of names for two reasons? Number one, Every name, every person on planet earth matters to God. Aren't you glad about that? Second thing is, every time we see a long list, Old Testament, New Testament, it is God always saying, all the way back with this first person, I made a covenant to him. And look at all these knuckleheads, all these dysfunctional people, and I never broke my covenant. I'm going to keep it with you imperfect people because I'm a perfect God. Are y'all out there? And... Um, so that's how the New Testament opens up. Then the very next chapter, Jesus is at a wedding and he does his first miracle. And there's a lot of meat on that bone to preach. Mark chapter five, we see this whole theme of family, family, marriage, marriage. God's is into it. It's his most basic institution, even more than the church. Mark five, Jesus heals the man who is demon-possessed, and the man goes, I want to travel with you and your disciples. And he goes, no, I want you to go home and show yourself to your family. He says that specifically. How beautiful is that? Can you imagine? Jesus is saying, your family needs to see what I've done in you more than all the masses need to see what I can do. Because I'll find other people and just keep on doing it. But you put your family through something. And when they see how I've touched your life, it will touch their life. Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down? Tracking with me? All right. 
I got to keep going. Almost finished on this part. First Timothy 3. Elders, spiritual leaders in the church get to lead and be qualified if they lead their families well, their children, their marriages. Matthew 6, Jesus teaches us to pray. And here we see family again. He starts out. He brings us into his family. He says, pray like this. Our Father. Our, Jesus didn't say, pray like this. My Father. He said, our Father. We see it all through Scripture. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit. Peter stands up and says, Holy Spirit isn't just for us. It's for us, our children, and our children's children. One of my favorites when you see this theme is in Acts chapter 16. And what's happening in Acts chapter 16? It says this. In verse 31, Paul and Silas had been put in jail at the midnight hour. Please track with me. And they're in jail. And what do they do? They raise the hallelujah in the middle of the storm. And what happened? A real storm came and broke open the jail, and they got out. There's a message right there. And the jailer's about to take his life going, if I don't kill me, the king is going to kill me because they're getting out on my watch. And Paul and Silas go, no, don't do that. Today, we're going to your house for salvation. And the Bible says it's at midnight, in the middle of the night. And he goes, we're going to your house and then he says salvation is coming to you and your whole house and then what happens he gets there and the whole family gets saved then what in the middle of the night they get baptized you see how God works maybe Paul and Silas got put in jail just so God could reach that jailer's family and when they begin to say what God was saying when they begin to rhema Sing praises at the midnight hour. Is anybody picking up what I'm putting down? And they begin to pray. And look what happens. And this is God all through. The, I could literally, I have, you, I have a file with literally hundreds of stories in the Bible that tell us the theme from Genesis to Revelation is God wants to do wonders in your marriage and in your family. And even if it's broken, Remember last week I said in the garden, God's not always communicating for communication. Often he's communicating for creation. He spoke in Genesis 1 and nobody was there. He didn't speak to talk to anybody. He spoke to create. He spoke to Lazarus not to communicate. Lazarus was dead. (laughs) And he didn't speak to him to create. He spoke to him to recreate and resurrect him. Are y'all picking up? Come on, somebody. All right. I'm blessing myself this morning. And then the the final thing I'll say is, the men know this. We talk about it a lot, especially when we go away on Real Men Weekend. Ephesians 5 says this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Just before it says, don't get drunk on wine. Be filled with the Spirit. You're going to need to be drunk on the Spirit to be able to love your wife like Christ loved the church. And then he says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And then Ephesians 6 opens up and it says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. And then it says, children, honor your fathers and mothers. And then what, what's next? Put on the full armor of God. Because God knows whew, there's going to be a spiritual war on your family. So you're going to need to stay full of the Spirit in order for you to lead your family well. 
All right. Are y'all out there? Everybody okay? Now we've gotten through the introduction. Seriously, but can we all embrace, why do we talk about the next generation all the time? Why do we talk about marriage, about family? Why do we talk to men? And you know, there's a ton of stuff that happens for, there's more women's Bible studies going on in this church than there are men's. But I'm the pastor and I'm the one always talking in the story. And I'm in the men's stuff, so I know the stories. I'm not in the women's stuff. I feel like in a world like we live in today, if I started showing up at the women's events, we'd have problems and issues. But we talk to the men about this. Um, Men are initiators, and women are sustainers, nurturers, even physiologically, how we recreate. And God speaks and calls men to lead their families. And we're going to see in this story three quick things I want to read to you, and I, I, I want us to talk about. And before we do, this needs to be in your hard drive in your heart and mind, not just for Christmas, but all throughout the year, the template of Christmas. Number one, God has a plan to redeem lost people. God is all about, his enterprise is saving lost people. Can somebody say amen? amen. Secondly, God speaks to people about what he wants to do in them and through them to reach lost people. So, that's his enterprise is helping people. Even Jesus said the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to seek those who are lost, to serve, to give his life as a ransom. That's, that's the whole purpose of God. And then God speaks his word to invite other people to get involved to help him reach lost people. And then thirdly, God partners with men and women in his plan to redeem a lost world. God doesn't work independently from men. We are his ambassadors, his partners, co-regents, the Bible tells us. Now, all right, so Christmas story, back to that, and family. God writes the Christmas story. Holy Spirit produces or directs the Christmas story. And Jesus, the star of the story, is born. And that's another template. God has spoken the word, the story of your life. As you are open to the Holy Spirit coming to empower you to live according to that word, then Jesus is multiplied in your life and it touches your family and others. Do we need a mental pause or break? Everybody good? Y'all good? All right. Should I let off the pressure on the fire hose? Y'all okay? I'm asking you. I'm not going to keep moving on until everybody good. Everybody, we're there. You're getting fed spiritually. All right. So, number one, let's look at the word of Christmas. Two words you need to know. The word logos is the written word of God. Logos, this is the written word. And it is objective, recorded. And God records the details of Christmas even before it happens and as it happens. The prophecies written down in the Logos, written word of God. The second word of Christmas, and this is the one you need to grab a hold of, is the word rhema. And rhema word is 
a personal word. It's timely and it's specific. And everybody listen. So in logo, a logos word can have rhema on it. A written word can be true for all time, but it happens to be, wow, a rhema word for you today. So it's a personal, timely, specific word to you. And you probably know this. I'm not, a, I'm not the greatest teacher, not even a good one, because I live as a rhema communicator. I don't, I, I, I don't teach, I kind of preach. You know, I teach to preach, or I peach, you know what I mean? And because Jesus said, man doesn't live on bread alone. You, you, you don't just leave. You, you can memorize this, and it never get in you. And, and so I come with oil. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't empower me, usually, if he doesn't, we're all in trouble. I'm embarrassed, and lunch tastes terrible for me. We come to have church, hallelujah. And just to understand what it is to be an oracle of God. So the word logos and rhema. Look at what the logos says at the end. We read this earlier, Malachi 4. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to children, children, hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come strike the land. So the Old Testament closes. And that's the promise God has. And then in Luke chapter 1, here we are, the first chapter of the gospel according to Luke. And here we see the Logos word happening. The prophecy of 400 years earlier starts happening on a random day in the temple when a priest is going through the motions. Verse 5, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Now, these are well-connected families. Priestly. So are you, 1 Peter 2, 9. Your chosen generation, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that you're the people of God. You will declare the glorious works of one who's called us out of darkness into light. Verse 6. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations, but they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week, as was the custom of the priests. He was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While he's the only one in the temple doing the Offering the sacrifice, while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. This is a great setup for spiritual motion and momentum. This is, this is worship. He's inside offering a sacrifice, and the church is praying. Verse 11, that's the recipe to get stuff, stuff moving. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right of the incense altar. Notice that Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Everybody listen here. Oh. He says two things more, but 
First, he says, he's, God has heard your prayers. How many of you think, God, he hears our prayers? Come on, somebody. If, you, if you're not praying, it's probably because you don't believe God answers prayer. And the second thing, don't miss this. The men, we talk about this, but I want the church to embrace this. It's no surprise that a man is praying. God shows up, and the first thing God says to that man is about what he's doing in that man's wife, her life. Men, when you pray, God will show you how to participate with what he's doing in her life or wants to do. Isn't that beautiful? Um, I lost my place. It was so beautiful. <laughs> but the angel said, don't be afraid. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth. And it's the unthinkable. It's impossible. We'll give you a son, and you are to name him John. Wait, what? John? We don't have any Johns in our family. Verse 14. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. I can't say that, I can't keep going without saying this. Your relationship to alcohol will have a relationship to your consecration and the level of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I'm not saying anything I'm not saying. But if you, if you drink, you need to be able to do that as unto the Lord in a way that pleases him. We see this all the time. Verse 16. And that consecration will cause, he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. All right, can I pause right here? Do you see the Logos message now turning to a rhema for Zechariah? We've written, yep, that's what Malachi, yep. It's going to happen through my wife and me. He will prepare the people for the coming Lord, turn the hearts of the Father's children. He will cause my child, those who are rebellious, to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now. My wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, these again, it's a con all it is are words. I am Gabriel, I stand in the bare presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news, these words. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why it was taking so long. And when he finally did come out, he couldn't say anything to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. Now, please listen. So he became dumb. He couldn't speak, lost his voice. How did that happen? It happens when a man doesn't recognize when the logos is becoming a rhema over his life, his marriage, his wife, his family. You say, Pastor Chuck, men don't lose their... Yeah, they can still talk, but they have no authority. And nobody listens to them. And their children 
find it hard to respect them. They may have logos, but when the logos get specific and timely and personal, and they don't say, may it be unto me according to your word, they, they become dumb. And our whole world and many churches are dumb. Figuratively and literally, it's a dumb thing to not have an ear to hear the word of the Lord. Can I keep moving on? Did I say enough about that or do we need to keep going on? So how does a man get his voice back after he's lost it? We'll see here in a second. Find out what God has said and is saying. What happened to Zechariah? That's exactly what happened. He came out. This little story I just read, it's a great story, is it not? When God shows up, the church service lasts a little bit longer. It's a great opportunity for somebody to say amen. How many of you would rather be a, how many of you know when God doesn't show up, 20-minute services are too long? I wish somebody was up here ready to have church on December 10th. Seriously, get out of bed, dress up on Sunday morning, raining outside. If God doesn't show up, if the worship is just music, 30 minutes is a long time. But when God shows up, 75, 90 minutes will leave you wanting a little bit more. I better keep on going. It's December and Christmas is coming. Am I telling the truth? I know I am. I'm just wanting to know if you realize it. All right, I, I'm going to skip, move on to point number two. So we looked at first the word of Christmas. There's a logos and then there's a rhema. And for Christmas to come to your house, especially you, sir, you need to say what God's saying right now. And you'll get your voice back, your children back, your marriage back, your finances back. Because the kingdom, God designed it to move by what we say. Second, the Holy Spirit of Christmas. Now, there's two themes everybody in this room would say, Pastor Chuck, you talk about two or three things every Sunday. I'm glad you noticed it. One is read the Bible. Read the Bible. Two is and stay full of the Holy Spirit. Three is pray for your family. Those three things. If somebody, if I had to write a book, it'd, it'd have three chapters. And I'd write a whole, I'd write a whole, 12 volumes. It, every volume would be about those three things. Four things really. Prayer in your family. So, the Holy Spirit of Christmas. God writes a script. Holy Spirit directs or produces it. Jesus is the star. But everybody, I bet you most of you have never seen this. It's the Holy Spirit bringing Christmas to fulfillment. And the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't even be here. John chapter 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again, born of water and spirit. You can't be... You can't even realize what's happening until you're born again. In John chapter 6, he says, you can't come to me unless the Spirit calls you. Now, 
I want you to look at even a lot of it we just read. All right, buckle up, everybody. Let's see the Holy Spirit producing, executing Christmas. Verse 15 from Luke 1. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He has to never take wine or other for a dream. And he will be filled, speaking to Zechariah about John the Baptist, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. How many of you like to claim that over your babies? Come on, somebody. You like to claim that over your child even before they're born. They'll be full of the Holy Spirit. You'll be in here in worship, and they'll hear a worship song, and they'll be just, just start dancing in the Spirit in your womb. Verse 35, the angel answered to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Verse 41, when Elizabeth, look at all this Holy Spirit activity. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greetings, greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The child's now leading the mom. The anointing on the child's life is now increasing the knowledge of God over his mother and the anointing on her life. And so what did she do? What all good Holy Spirit-filled people do? She got louder. It said in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. You know what volume indicates? Belief, passion, faith. She was convinced the logos has become the rhema. This is a moment. I have the logos John the Baptist in my womb. And he's already pointing the way for the rhema incarnate word in your womb. Whoa. The next thing that happens, you'll never guess. Mary now gets overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and she begins to sing loudly, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, who is in my womb. <laughs> Holy Spirit's doing all this. And then what does she do in the Magnificat? She sings the Logos from the Old Testament that has now become the Rhema. Holy Spirit's doing all this. Then what happens next? Elizabeth has her baby. And on the eighth day, they bring the baby to be circumcised and ask for the name so they can fill out the birth certificate. And Zechariah asks for a writing tablet. And listen, when he doubted the Logos, he now has an opportunity. God provides a door and he says, what will his name be? And all Zechariah does is he says what God said. And he wrote down J-O-H-N. The people got over and saw it and they looked at each other and they said, 
John, there's not a John in their whole family. We've never even heard of a person named John. This is the first. And it was a wait what moment over. And what was God saying? I'm getting ready to do something in this family that's never been done before. And when the father started recognizing and saying what God told him to say, what happened? He got his voice back. And then what happened? The Bible says in verse 67, his father Zechariah, read these words with me, was filled with a and prophesied. Woo! Fathers, if you just say what God has said and recognize what he's saying now, and you begin to prophesy over your children, and you're going to sit here and tell me, and I know what you're thinking, well, they're in the Bible. He didn't know he was in the Bible. He was just an old man who had an opportunity, his wife got frisky, and here they are. And all he had was a little infant that was a ream, a product of Rhema. And he, let me tell you, I'm skipping over so much. Remember the old man Simeon? He had, he, God had told him that you will not pass away until you see the Messiah. And the Bible says in, Luke, in this same chapter, Simeon moved by the Spirit, just said, go to the temple now. And when he got there, what, who was there? The incarnate word, Jesus, getting circumcised, dedicated to Simeon. It's a good thing he heard the rhema. He would not, he would see, he wouldn't pass away until he saw. And then he was moved by the Spirit and went to the temple. And there it was. But here's where I want to finish, right here. Holy Spirit, come in this room right now. Especially, and you may be going, Pastor Chuck, I'm a my husband, my my children, they don't get this stuff. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will fall upon you too. And you're in a house this morning where there are fathers, spiritual fathers. And we're prophesying and speaking over your children. And there's a reason why in Acts chapter 2 and Joel chapter 2 that Peter stood when the Holy Spirit was being poured out. He said, even on your handmaidens, even the, the maids in your house, my spirit will fall. Galatians says, there won't be Jew or Greek, um, slave or free, male or female. But when men initiate like Zechariah does right here, and they begin to prophesy over their little infants. You know what an infant is. We have two of them. One's, how old's Ford? Six weeks-ish. Archie's, what, three and a half months? A little over three. I mean, you know, I love them, but when, I mean, they're, they're like prunes. I mean, they're just little. Archie's now can recognize voices, and you can start to see their personality, and Ford's 
His eyes are moving. That's all Zechariah had. He didn't have John the Baptist. He just had. He didn't realize. Be careful what you say because it's going to be in the Bible. You know? And what did he say? Here's the last thing, and this is for you at Christmas, the prophetic word of Christmas. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. This is the one Malachi spoke of. This wouldn't be the Messiah, but this would be the one that needed to come so the Messiah could come. That's the same for you. You are a forerunner in your family, at your job, in your neighborhood. God wants to do something in you so he can do something through you. Now, are y'all ready for this? Turn and tell two people near you, buckle up, get ready. He's getting really amped up this morning. All right, and here's what Zechariah prophesied. See if you recognize. He's just quoting from the Old Testament. He's just declaring verses. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said, through his holy prophets of long ago. You realize that's why you need to read your Bible regularly. He's recognized it. And salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Oh, we need this prophecy right now. And to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness, verse 75, in righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. The fatherly words, the weighty prophetic words over a little infant boy. For you, my sweet child, will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, S-U-N and S-O-N, to shine on those, here he is quoting from Isaiah, living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And look what it says. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit. <laughs> God, fill us up a church full of men prophesying over their children. And he lived where? And all the moms said, prophesy that Lord don't send him to the wilderness. <laughs> Until he appeared publicly to Israel. All right, everybody. Two chapters later. This is the end of chapter one. Chapter two is the story of Jesus being born in Luke 2. Look how chapter 3 opens up. And I'm going to just give you the cliff, or I'm going to just spoil it. What Zechariah just prophesied now gets fulfilled one chapter later. So catch all the dignitaries in this. Luke, being a doctor himself, knew all of them. He knew how to talk in a sophisticated, educated, white-collar way. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, the tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria, 
and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, the district of attorney of Washington, D.C., during the high priesthood of Joe Biden and Anna and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, out in the wilderness. The word of God bypassed all those people. Because a chapter earlier, his daddy prophesied he would have the word. He would have the rhema word. And even if it's out in the wilderness, people are going to leave the temples, all the sophisticated banquets, and they're going to go hear the word of the Lord. And then look what verse 4 and 5 say. He went into all the country, verse 3, around the Jordan preaching. Speaking words of baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. John's going, I was in the Old Testament, and I'm going to fulfill that prophecy over my life. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. I am out of time, but I'm not out of content. I can tell you that. Do y'all pick? Can you just get the next 15 minutes that the Lord wanted to give you? Do y'all pick up what God is saying to you today? And so all over this room, and I know if you're visiting, you came here to see your niece or nephew or your grandchild, and you're just like, I just came for a children's musical. I, I don't know what happened to that guy up there but at 11 o'clock. I'm sorry, I apologize. It's, it's usually like this, but not always. But so men, I wish I had time to have the ushers, elders, just to let people who, just, just to speak a word over you right now. Men, I'm calling you. Every year at the end of the year, I have a word that I pray about for our family and on Christmas Eve, we sit down and I talk to them about that word. And the kids normally debrief, receive it, process it. And I'll rehab the word for next year. Fathers, if it doesn't have my word this coming year for our church is order. Get everything in order. Structure it soundly. Because God blesses order, not disorder. That's the word. That's all it is. There, you don't have to go call John Maxwell or Zig Ziglar or the Crystal Palace. Or You just, the word of the Lord came to John out in the wilderness. And then just speak that over your children. Just this week, we're putting finishing touches. We're a little forward, our, our newest grandson. And I did with him what I do with, did with all of our kids. You and you were smaller. Every one of them, Banks. And I would just whisper in their ear things like, do you know how much I love you? And God loves you way more than me. God's plan for you is amazing, buddy. You're a world changer. I'm holding 
a child that's going to touch the whole world. And as they would get older and not even understand it, it would silence them. Because his spirit in me is causing my spirit to speak to their spirit. And they begin to lean into it. And they would begin to smile because it ministered to them. Would you just stand with me all over this room? I want to ask moms and dads, if you're in a situation, you need a logos, logos to be turned into a rhema. Would you just lift your hands right now? Just ask the Lord. In my marriage, my family, my extended family, my family at work, the cold, uh, the the cubicle that I'm parked in and the people I touch in our cul-de-sac. Just receive. Now, you don't have to get weird about it, but you just, you just stand up and say, filled with the Spirit, and say what the Lord is saying right now in the name of Jesus. Even over you, Craig Grubb, I just, the Lord says, I see you. I'm with you. I'm for you. The turnaround is coming. I'm developing in you perseverance, the spirit of an overcomer. You will overcome and teach many how to overcome. Just lift your hand right now, Craig, and just, just tell the Lord, I received that. In the name of Jesus, all over this room, in the name of Jesus. God's trying to speak something into you that you can't do. So just go ahead and tell him, God, I'm not qualified. He already knows it, but you just tell him that. He doesn't call the qualified. You know the old saying, he qualifies the called because he sends his spirit over us. Would you now just begin to tell the Lord how thankful you are that this Christmas is going to be filled with good news of great joy for all the people? Come on, even just tell America, tell the world, God is for us, you can't be against us. Judges, systems, education, you're not going to indoctrinate, you're not going to cause our children to stumble in the name of Jesus. Come on, tell the Lord, Father God, I'm a firewall mama, I'm a firewall father in the name of Jesus. My children are blessed, my family is blessed, coming and going. We will be lenders and not debtors in the name of... Come on, somebody. Just tell the Lord. Tell the atmosphere right now. I'm coming out of debt this year, too, in the name of Jesus. Tell the enemy, leave me alone. There is favor on my life in the name of Jesus. Come on, tell the, tell the Lord. and You receive his promise. Like Mary, I don't know how it's going to happen. Your spirit's going to have to direct and produce and execute your word in my life. But I'm down with it in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, and amen. Can we give God praise for his marvelous word? Praise you, Lord. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May he lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now say it, I receive it in Jesus' name. God bless you, everyone.